0: I want us to begin this morning by reading from the sermon text. So if you will, please stand with me as we read from John chapter 16, verses 25 through 33. You can follow along on the screen. Starting in verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord, We need this truth. Lord, we need to understand how this is true. Lord, this morning, help us to understand. Help us, Lord, give us faith to know Lord, that Christ has overcome this world. Lord, You tell us we will have tribulation, and Lord, we surely feel that this week. Help us to know, Lord, that You have overcome. Lord, You have overcome sin. You have overcome brokenness. Lord, You and You alone, Lord, have overcome. May we see where we have come short. May we see our desperate need. Lord, this morning, may we see Christ. May we see Him crucified and may we see Him resurrected to new life. Lord, help us see this morning. We pray all this in His name. Amen. You may be seated. If there was ever a time that we needed to hear the message from today's text, I believe it's now. God is so good to provide in His Word the truth that we need to hear at exactly the time that we need to hear it. We've experienced tragic loss this week. those who we love dearly are going through what is probably the darkest moment of their lives what hope is there for them in a time as dark as this what hope is there for us because i know there's many of you that are hurting whether it be from something that's public something that's known something that's private i know many are going through trials Is there hope for us? What hope do we find in today's text? It's the greatest hope. Christ has overcome the world. All that is broken, all that is so messed up, Christ has overcome. Now this is good news. This is wonderful news. It's the best news that we could ever hear. However, in times of trial, in times of darkness, in times of heartache and loss, it's hard to understand this to be true. It's hard to grasp why is this so good? Is this really true? So today, what I hope we can do as we work through these verses is I hope we will gain a better understanding of this hope that Jesus is giving the disciples in this text as John tells the story as Jesus wraps up this upper room discourse, this last message, this last teaching that He's giving to His disciples. I hope that we can see clearly the hope that Jesus offers here. I hope that we will discover hope and the peace that He promises to bring. Now the first thing that I think we've got to recognize as we look at this text and we try to examine our own hearts in the midst of this is that the failure to understand Jesus' true purpose for coming into the world, it leads to confusion. It, It results in Fear. We know that to be true because that's what we see with the disciples here in this text. They've, They've been hearing Jesus talk for the last few chapters as we've been working through John. I'm leaving. I have to go. And they're confused. They're afraid. They don't know what's going on. They don't realize what he's come to accomplish. They don't fully see his purpose and therefore that's why they out that's why he rebukes peter and as we see and are going to see in this text rebukes the disciples but he promises them i go so that you may know they don't realize he's going to accomplish salvation for them they don't realize they won't fully understand it and they can't until the holy spirit comes and the holy spirit won't come until jesus accomplishes salvation for them See, this failure to understand Jesus's true purpose for coming to this world it results in confusion and fear. This confusion is felt if we don't understand this true purpose. It's felt when following Christ puts us in conflict with the world. This confusion is felt when following Christ means losing our earthly possessions. This failure to understand Jesus purpose. It results in confusion when following Christ means being humbled, even humiliated by our peers and the world around us. This confusion is felt when despite following Christ, we still witness the success of evil people and those who reject Christ over and above those who have followed Him. This confusion is felt when despite following Christ, we still suffer through heartache. And loss. I know that so many of us have been confused, have been broken this week, and I know I need to see, I know you need to see the hope that's here in this promise from Christ. We all need to see Jesus' true purpose for coming into this world. We need to understand the sacrifice that He is going to make, the rescue that He has come to provide. We must see His true purpose for coming. Now we see this statement in verse 25. It says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming, though, when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father." We can pick up on this phrase, the hour is coming. The hour is coming. Jesus has repeated it again and again. He's, you go back to John chapter 12 and you see Him talk, promising, the hour is coming. You're going to see it next week when we look at John chapter 17. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What does this mean? It is the hour, the most important hour in the history of all creation when God would provide reconciliation for his creation by sending his son god in the flesh to take on our punishment but when you got to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples here in verse 25 he said i'll i'll finally no longer speak to you in figures of speech this figures of speech is kind of like mystery I, I i'll no longer speak vaguely about this but you will understand clearly i'll tell you plainly about the father jesus says so the first question to come to mind after this statement is probably the same for us as it was for the disciples Well, why won't you tell us plainly now why won't you tell us plainly now we have to understand what Jesus is talking about here Jesus is talking about that this understanding it will be brought about through the Holy Spirit, after Jesus goes to the cross, dies, rises again to appear to His disciples. They won't understand all that He has been talking about until the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit will not come until Jesus finishes His work here on this earth. This is what He's just promised all through chapter 15 and chapter 16. The paraclete, the comforter, the one who will come to illuminate them, to understand them, to convict the world concerning sin, Righteousness and judgment. They won't understand yet. He's saying, wait. The hour is coming. Verses 26 through 27, it says, In that day you will ask in my name. But he says, I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And here this is a promise for us to see that not only Jesus, he's going to provide access for us to the Father and to help us to know the Father loves those who love Jesus. The Father loves those who trust in him. And he says, the Father loves you because you have loved me. You have believed. That I came from God. We talked the past few weeks about what it looked like to pray in Jesus' name. It's to pray knowing that He is the one who has reconciled us to God. To pray in light of His righteousness, no longer our own. Jesus is promising, "Look, you'll know clearly after." You're going to know exactly what's going on. You'll understand after. And not only that, but you'll have access to the Father, to the Creator. He's hinting at what is to come. But you see, they wouldn't understand, they couldn't understand could not grasp, that's how broken, that's how sinful we are, that's how much we need God to step into our lives, to illuminate our hearts, to convict us of our sin, and show us, as we're about to look at, that there is only one way to be reconciled with our Creator. There is only one person who is righteous enough to take on our punishment for us. Jesus is departing so that we might enter into the love of the Father, but the disciples, they don't understand it yet. They still haven't fully understood His purpose. So this is what we get in verse 28. We get the explanation. What, with one verse, Jesus sums up His work. I came from the Father, and I've come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. We could spend all day unpacking all that lies within that one verse. I came from the Father. We I think of Philippians 2, which I've we've worked through as a church, and I've heard I've quoted again and again as we've been working through John's gospel that Jesus Christ, He humbled himself, becoming a servant. He put away the glory that he shared with the Father. He came to this earth, became like us, became A humble servant. Died a humiliating death. See, Jesus came from the Father. He's come into the world. He's shown obedience unlike us. He's shown righteousness unlike us. He's loved selflessly and perfectly. Unlike us. See, he came into the world, but he leaves us open. He says, "And now, I'm leaving the world and going to the Father." He came from the Father. He's come into the world. Now he's going back. We see this because he's got to leave. He's got to to under, He's got to become like us, die in our stead. And we see that he becomes, as we read in Hebrews, the great high priest, the one who can understand to relate. The trials that we've understood. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. And He provided the sacrifice for us. You see, Jesus, the purpose for which He came into this world was to save it. To save it because there's so much more than this world. There's eternity with our God. And He's reconciling the world to Himself through His Son. If we want to understand the hope that is bound up in this promise that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. We've got to realize the problem, the mess that we're in, and we've got to realize the rescue that He offers through Him him, and Himself alone. Why can we have hope in the midst of dark times? It's because God has made a way for us to be rescued from our sin. And He's done it even when we did not deserve it. We hear this summary and part of this summary in greater form in John 3.16 and following what so many of you are familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Jesus is the light of the world who has stepped in to illuminate our darkness, to overcome sin The death, death, and the devil. He's come to overcome, but we've got to realize the only rescue we have is through him and the work that he has come to accomplish. There's not hope in this text. There's not hope in this if we don't understand the long, overarching plan that God is redeeming the world and he's choosing to use us to be a participant in it. But see, even as Jesus is explaining this to the disciples. He says, "All right, I want you to understand. I've been speaking to you vaguely. Now, I will speak to you soon. I will speak to you clearly soon. What happens when Jesus gives this short summary? That I came from the Father, I came came to the earth, and I'm going now to return to the Father. Their response is, okay, we've got it now. Yeah, we get it. Verses 29 and 30. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Why is it they believe He came from God? Because He seems to know all things. He knows all things. He doesn't need anyone. No one can question you. They're just saying, I believe because, look, you have all the answers that I can seem to come up with. We know you got to be from God. They don't believe in Him because they know that He's come to make a sacrifice for them yet. They still do not understand His purpose. The moment the disciples think they finally get it, they still have yet to understand just how lost they are. So what does Jesus do? He says, do you now believe? Do you now believe? It's as if they haven't been listening to anything Jesus has been saying. He just specifically told them that they would not understand all that He is talking about until after He leaves them and the Spirit comes. Like He just said that to them. And they're saying, oh, no, no, we got it now. They're not even listening to Him. What they reveal in this response, it's a a naive eagerness. It's a desire to please Jesus by assuming they understand when they do not. See, they will not grasp the weight of their sin until they see their Creator on the cross. They will not grasp the power of redemption that He offers until they recognize their sin which was what nailed Him to that cross. They will not grasp the hope that He offers until they realize that He alone can accomplish what they need to be saved. They think, oh, we got it. You're worth following. You must have come from the Father because you know so much. Meanwhile we we see the deaf ears that they have they don't even hear what he's already said to them They don't realize what he's come yet to, come to do they they don't get it But see I want you to see that there's hope in this frustration there's hope in this confusion Because Jesus is pointing out how they're coming up short. He's making it clear just how confused and wrong they are. Because he's going to eliminate every single chance, every single shred of thought that they have that they could do anything. That they could have thought positively because he wants them to know, look, you never got it, you haven't seen anything. I'm the one who is accomplishing salvation for you in a way that you could have never expected, never have seen, and only I could do. See, it is only through His death and resurrection that we have life. Jesus wants them to see only through Him. Only what He could do. And only what He and He alone was capable of doing. How does He do this? Well, first He rebukes them. He says, Do you now believe, in verse 31, Behold, the hour is coming. Repeats that again. The hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave Me alone. What is Jesus saying? You don't understand what has to be accomplished. And I'm telling you right now, You're going to run scared when the hour comes. When the hour of judgment comes, you will have no part of it. But even still, even as you will have no part of it, look, I'm not alone. For what does He say at the end of verse 32? Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. The same Father who He said, look, I'm going so that the Father you may enter into right relationship with the Father so that you may know eternal life, which is to know the Father. Jesus promises them in the midst of His rebuke, as He's promising to leave them, He tells them, you are going to leave Me alone. What He promises comes true. But even in that darkness... Something glorious is seen. Jesus goes to the cross alone. Do you get it? He goes to the cross alone because we couldn't do anything. He doesn't want us to put our hope in anything but Him. One pastor He said it this way. He went alone bearing His cross. No follower attending on Him. He alone was then the true Israel. The servant of the Lord. The vine of God. Utterly deserted. Utterly alone. Jesus alone goes to the cross. And by doing so, demonstrates even in sorrowful action that He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. But what hope is in that? It is hope that the only one who is capable is the one who accomplished. There is hope for us in the fact that Jesus accomplished our salvation completely apart from us. But that hope doesn't begin to make sense until we realize that we could have done nothing and can do nothing to make ourselves right before a holy God. We have to understand our own brokenness to understand Jesus' glorious aloneness. You get that. We have to understand our own brokenness to understand Jesus' glorious aloneness. He alone. He alone has accomplished our salvation. He alone has proven Himself faithful. He alone has. Was righteous, yet took on our unrighteousness. He alone brought about salvation through utter darkness. If we have any reason to trust in Him, it's the fact that He alone has accomplished salvation. Now this is hope. But I think this actually leaves us with another question which I think Jesus has been answering and is going to continue to answer as we work through John's Gospel. The disciples, they didn't fully understand what he was talking about. We stand on the other side of Calvary. We see what Jesus was going to accomplish. Yet, As we talked about before, we're still surrounded by brokenness. We still see hurt all around us. Even as He has overcome the world, why is it then that we still are facing brokenness and still suffering, still struggling against sin, struggling against the schemes of the devil, struggling against the brokenness that has come about by sin and all that we have contributed to in this world? Why if Jesus has overcome, why hasn't he taken us with him? He is overcome, but we're still here. We are still faced with the consequences of sin. We still have to battle sin in the form of the world, the flesh and the devil. We still have to deal with the heartache of loss, the brokenness of sinful decisions, the evil of those who choose to destroy others for their own sake. Wouldn't it be easier for God to just take us with Him once we believe? So I counter that question with another. Who then would tell the world about God's power to redeem Jesus' love that overcomes evil and how He does it without a single bit of participation from us. Who would declare God's power? Who would declare God's glorious power to save in the fact that He has done it? And He alone. see, Why hasn't He taken us with Him? It's the same type of faith He's calling for the disciples to have. He wants us to see that He wants us to participate, to declare the glory of that He has overcome the world. True faith comes as we see God and we see His desire to save and then we see that it is also His desire to use us to declare His glory and His love for the world. Jesus prepares His disciples, and has been preparing them, even in this text, as we look at this upper room discourse, this last sermon, this last bit of teaching that He gives His disciples, He's preparing them for their mission to go into the world. And how is He doing it? By eliminating any shred of confidence that they have in themselves so that their confidence will fully be in Him when they recognize that it was Him and Him alone that accomplished their salvation. Verse 33, he said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. All of what he's been telling me. All of what he's been saying. I've said these things to you that in me, Jesus says, you may have peace. Not in the things of this world. Not in security. Not in family. Not even in the the safety, security, the wealth that you can accumulate. Not even in your family. Not even in the brokenness of the people here. But that our hope, our security, our peace would be in Him. He had to bring us to an understanding of our brokenness. So that we could see our only hope is in Him. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome this world. You see, we get confused when we face trials. And some of them are overwhelming. We get confused When our faith calls for sacrifice that goes against the ways of this world. What we must see is that Jesus has overcome the world so that we might find hope in Him and Him alone and that we might place our hope in Him for eternity. Not just this world. We have to realize that this life, it's only a fraction of our existence. And it's only barely the beginning. There is an eternity waiting for us. Apart from Christ, that eternity will be separation from God. in Christ, that eternity will be joyful, Wonderful, beautiful fellowship with our Creator. In light of eternity, our trials begin to take new forms. When the disciples were looking at Jesus' soon departure, they despaired. Think about it. Think of how confused, how worried, how scared they were they did not understand that His departure was ensuring their eternity. When they watched Him dying on the cross, they didn't understand at the time that His blood was washing away their sins. When He was laying in the tomb, they did not know new life was about to break forth. And here's hope for us. If God has accomplished the most glorious, most beautiful, most powerful achievement that has ensured our eternity with Him in the dark, bloody, gruesome, seemingly tragic crucifixion of His Son, we can take heart. Because God can and will bring about His glory and our good even when things seem hopeless. This is what it means that Christ has overcome this world. There is hope for us. There's hope. And I don't know about you guys, but I need that hope. What does He call for us to do? This is where it's so good. He calls for us to believe. He calls for us to trust. He says, Trust in me. I'll give you peace. I'll give you hope. All that seems dark, it'll be light. All that seems broken, I will make new. What does He call for us to do? He calls for us to believe. And He promises to give us peace. Hebrews 13. is a wonderful passage. It very well sums up what Jesus was about to go do as He spoke these words to the disciples. Author of Hebrews, his whole purpose in the book is to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises, all the covenant agreements in the Old Testament. And he talks about how Christ is the high priest who suffered for us. Hebrews 13, verses 11 through 16, we read this For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest. As a sacrifice for sin, they're burned outside the camp. Think about that. The bodies of the animals whose blood was brought for the sacrifice, their bodies, they're taken outside the camp to be sacrificed, to be burned. To be thrown outside the camp, if you were unclean, you were thrown outside the camp of Israel. Those unclean animals, they were representatives of, they took on the sin. They were the sacrifice in place of their sin. But what does Jesus do? Even as as Jesus says, you're going to leave me alone. I'm going to the cross alone. What does the author of Hebrews tell us? So Jesus, he also suffered outside the gate, outside the city in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. So what are we to do? Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp. Let us go to Him. Let's go to the place of His sacrifice and bear the reproach He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What are we to do in light of this salvation? We come to Jesus at the cross. We come to Jesus outside the camp. We lay our burdens, our trials, our shame, our guilt... Our fear, we lay it all at the cross. We place our trust in Him, knowing that He has overcome this world and the city that is to come. It's one that is everlasting. This city, this world, it is temporary, it is passing away. But in that everlasting city, we will dwell with our Creator, our Father. We will know Him, and He will know us fully. There will be no more pain. There will be no more hurt. There will be no more sin. There will be no more death. All that we have endured. All the hardship from obedience. All the hurt from pain and loss. It will all be worth it. It will all make sense. And we will have joy and joy to the fullest. As we walk with our Creator. Right now, in times of darkness, it's hard to find hope unless we look to Christ. We must see, we need to see the salvation that He has made possible through His blood and His blood alone. We realize the sacrifice that He has made. We realize that He is bringing about something so much greater. But He's bringing that salvation to those who trust in Him. If you've not yet trusted in Christ, then you don't have this hope. But I hope you see clearly the joy, the peace that He's offering you this morning. I hope you see the new life that He's made possible by His sacrifice. I hope that you'll trust Him. I hope that you'll believe. My brothers and sisters, we are a people who have a hope That surpasses anything this world has to offer. We can endure trial. We can endure hardship because we know that just as God accomplished our salvation through a bloody cross, He can accomplish something great through our trials and sufferings. And He will do so for His glory and our benefit. We can trust Him. He's proven Himself trustworthy. We can trust Him because He's faithful. We can trust Him because He will turn tears into joy. I wanted to end with one of my favorite psalms. It's one of the psalms of ascent. A prayer The Israelites would pray as they walked towards the temple during high holy days. And it's a prayer for the Lord to restore the fortunes of Zion to give joy to His people. Psalm 126, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was... Filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy bringing His sheaves with Him. Jesus was preparing the disciples for the weeping that was to come, but He wanted them to know your weeping is only for a time for I'm going to accomplish salvation for you. Your weeping will turn to joy. My promise to you this morning, No matter our hardship, no matter your suffering, no matter the brokenness you're experiencing, God has the power to turn your suffering, to turn your weeping into joy if you will trust Him this morning. He has proven Himself trustworthy. He has proven Himself faithful. May we find our hope in Him for He has overcome this world. I hope that you find comfort. I hope that you find joy in this promise. And I challenge you look to the cross. Lay your burdens down and see that Christ has made a way and made the way by him and himself alone. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. Christ has overcome. May we go forth this morning with the joy and the confidence, knowing that our lives are secure in Him. Let's pray.